Hi, my name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 18. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, because I am creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Amy. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Katie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 3, 1 through 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we ask now that as we listen to it, that you would breathe it into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Make it living, make it powerful in us, cause, us, cause it to change us and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, what a glorious Sunday morning. It's good to see all of you here today. My name's Glenn Packiam. I'm the pastor here at New Life downtown. 2018 was kind of a big year in our house. Our uh, oldest child became a teenager. That was big. And before that, uh, earlier in the year, in February, I turned 40. So that was big. And uh, the thing I like about being 40 is it's an excuse now to sort of say, I've, I'm settled. You know, I, I kind of know who I am and who I am not. And but also, you know, th- this year we moved, and so in the process of the move, we were digging up old photo albums and archives, and so turning 40 and finding old photos was an interesting combo. And so I dug up some old pictures over the years, and uh, I've been at New Life Church for 18 years, and when I first arrived here, I was in uh, kind of the worship ministry role, and so shortly, that's one of the reasons why there are so many of these sort of uh, press pictures, if you will. And so this first pic I found was a meal shortly after I arrived arrived, some sort of green hipster jacket and uh, long hair, you know. And then, uh, and then, you know, we, I was part of a band called the Desperation Band, and so this is the band photo now. 
Uh, there's my buddy John Egan and Jared Anderson. John wrote the song we sang this morning, Make Away. I don't know why John got to be in the middle, but that always bothered me. But there you go. Uh, th- there it is. And then, uh, and then I had the opportunity to write a book called Secondhand Jesus, and I thought I better start looking a little more professional. So I had... You know, just enough professionalness with the blazer, but then the scarf to remain hipster, you know, so, and the soul patch, let's not forget the soul patch, uh, dear Lord. And then, uh, and, then the, and then the chance came to sort of, you know, do some solo projects, and so here I am uh, looking very angry um, uh, at the chance to make some solo albums. And, uh, and then eventually I went back to seminary and started, you know, reigniting kind of my love for theology. And so tweed blazer and bow tie, you know, came in. And so you kind of you see the, 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 the evolution over the years. But as I was digging through the pictures, I found one uh, from our wedding. You may not know this, but Pastor Jason Jackson was one of the groomsmen in our wedding, which was about 17 years ago. And so here's me and Pastor Jason. There you go. And, and if, you're, if you're wondering, those are hoop earrings he's wearing. You'll have to ask him about that. So anyway, enough of that. Now, I, I show you all of these pictures because it's just sort of fun to sort of see. Okay, enough. Like, you can take it down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you think about the ways that we change and the ways that we kind of reinvent ourselves. We're in a series called Encounters with Jesus, and we're looking at these stories from the Gospels of people who came into contact with Jesus and whose lives were never the same after that. Now, this shows up in, in all four of the Gospels, but I think John's Gospel is the one that gives us a real kind of zoomed-in picture of these personal encounters. And, And on and on through the pages of John's Gospel, you'll see individuals meeting with Jesus and then being different as a result. There's, these encounters are personal and transformational. And, and, and at the end of John's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, people who no doubt themselves had experienced an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says to them, look, I'm going to leave, but it's good for you that I go away. Now, if you've ever had a, a person in your life, maybe a mentor or a, a parent or whatever, who says, okay, it's, it's time now, you go on your own. And you say, wait a minute, no, I'm not ready. I still need your, your mentorship. Maybe these disciples were thinking, wait, wait, wait. Your presence has been so transformational. I'm not ready to not have your presence anymore. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's actually going to be good for you when I go because the Father will send another helper. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how the living Jesus continues to encounter us today. And so when we are, as we're going through the series, I don't want you to kind of sit back and think, oh, those are cute little Bible stories about Jesus. I want you to lean forward and say, do it again, Lord. I want you to lean forward and say, God, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, the risen Christ is still in the business of meeting and transforming people. He's still in the work. Of, he, this, is, this is what Jesus does now through the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus says, it's good that I go because now this transforming power is going to, uh, is going to be unleashed all around the world. Young and old can, take, can partake of this. And so when we think about this uh, and the way that transformation happens, I'm thinking about all of my pictures and all of my many attempts to sort of remake myself and reinvent myself. And maybe that's one of the messages we hear in culture today, to say, hey, 
hey, if you don't like where you are, change who you are. Reinvent yourself. In fact, it is maybe one of the most beautiful things about the American spirit. America is a nation built on people who've said, let's get a fresh start. Let's remake ourselves. We may have been, you know, uh, farmers there, but we can be steel magnates here. We can, we can change the way that we approach industry. We can have a fresh start in the new world. And so there's this one message that says, reinvent yourself. You can do it. And then there's this other message that we hear, especially in our generation, that says, no, love yourself. You don't need to change yourself. Just love yourself. Just accept yourself. You're fine just the way you are. And if others don't like you, well, it's their loss. And what we find is that Jesus says something that's both more radical and more beautiful than that. Jesus doesn't say change yourself, nor does he say just accept yourself. Jesus says something in this particular encounter today that we're going to look at that is both more radical and more beautiful. Turn with me to John 3. Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. In the beginning of John 3, John introduces him like this. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus hasn't asked the question yet. He's just saying, I know that you're from God, but it's almost like Jesus knows where he's going with this. Someone who's come from God, who's doing miraculous signs. Jesus knows, oh, Nicodemus, you're interested in seeing the kingdom. And so Jesus says, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, they will not see. It's impossible to see God's kingdom. This morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be born anew, to be given a new beginning. But before we do that, I want us to look at this phrase here, God's kingdom. Why is Jesus talking about God's kingdom? To the Jewish mind, they were not hoping for a disembodied heaven where, some, where someone would just sort of forgive their sins and, and whisk them off to. That wasn't the great Jewish hope. The great Jewish hope was that God would become king in such a way that the whole world would be made new. And so when you read the Old Testament, the great longing of the prophets and the poets and the people of God was, God, it's a mess out there. If you're really the king, as we know you are, because you're the creator, would you make your rule come to bear on the world? Would you bring it here? Would you actually rule? And sometimes the, the strongest imagery that the prophets could come up with was, was to say, when God reigns, there will be like new heavens and new earth. So other psalmists will say things like, when God reigns, the, the mountains will melt like wax, or the, heat, the trees will clap their hands, the nations will be glad. And Isaiah says, we heard it in our Old Testament reading today, when God fully reigns, it will be like everything being made new again, and a new heaven and a new earth. And so Nicodemus is kind of saying, God, we're waiting for this because it's a mess out there. And Jesus says, no, you're not even going to see the saving and restoring rule of God unless you yourself have been made new. And he starts to say this, he says this phrase, to be born anew. And he says it multiple times in this conversation about being born again. The Greek here is the idea of, of being born. It's not too tricky. In fact, some form of this word is used when it talks of a parent begetting a, a, a child, whether by a father or a mother. And the common link in this word, it's genan or genao, depending on which form this word is used, is this G-E-N, like generation 
or regeneration. It's linked to a whole family of words that, that have made its way even in English to say, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a new generation beginning here. Or maybe, if you'd like, the word that we use for the first book of our Bible, a genesis, a beginning, a new birth. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're interested in seeing the world being made new, if you want the world to experience a new genesis, you need to experience a new genesis. You don't get to participate in new creation unless you become new creation. What Jesus is saying is that we have to be made new in order to fit the new creation. Why is that? Well, think about this. If your family scratched up the walls and the floor of the house you were living in, you could move into a brand new house and it would only be a matter of time before you scratch those floors and those walls again. Or think about our country. A couple hundred years ago, people called America the new world. We're gonna start new, we're gonna invent, and there's something remarkable about that experiment. And yet here we are, and we look across the landscape, and we think about the violence that, that came out of hatred that happened yesterday and, and earlier in this week, and we think, oh man, this new world is itself a mess. And you understand that if we are not made new, it doesn't matter if the world's been made new, we'll just make it a mess again. You see what Jesus is saying? Nicodemus, you're focused on the world out there, you're focused on everything else being made new, but I wanna say to you, you need to be made new. It's not just the world out there that needs a new beginning, it's you yourself that needs a new beginning. And so in Jesus, goes on in this conversation with Nicodemus, I want to point out three things about what this new beginning means. Three things about this new beginning that just from this encounter with Jesus that Nicodemus begins to maybe try to see. Verse four, Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? And Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. And he goes on and he says, and he says, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. The first thing that we see about this new beginning is that a new beginning means a new birth. A new beginning means a new birth. Now, this might seem like, well, isn't that sort of obvious? I mean, Jesus is using born language and birth language and generation and regeneration. But think about who Nicodemus was. When John introduces the story, he says a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were this group of teachers of the law who believed that obedience to the Torah was the way to get God's reign to arrive. They understood that part of the reason the exile happened and they understood that part of the reason these other nations had come in and, and they were being overrun was because they had been unfaithful to God. They had not faithfully kept covenant. They had been disobedient to the Torah and therefore been unfaithful to the covenant. And so the Pharisees, as, as, their, as the Jews had been living in Babylon and they couldn't offer sacrifices and didn't have their temple system, what became their expression of faithfulness to Yahweh was obedience to the Torah. They're like, well, we don't have the sacrificial system. We don't have the temple. We can't do all the stuff that we normally do. But one of the things we can do is keep obeying the Torah. And so the Pharisees emerge as this group that says, we're going to help you do that. We're going to be experts in obedience. We're going to be the ones that are like amazing examples for you. 
And so Nicodemus, we, you know, you and I as American Christians, you hear Pharisee, and we already use that word in a negative way, right? Oh, don't be such a Pharisee. I don't know, maybe you don't say that. Maybe that's a church thing. <laughs> but we already have, but in the first century, Pharisee was like, that is a respected dude. That is the guy who was on everyone's Jewish party guest list. I mean, respectable man of the right pedigree. To be a Pharisee is to have the right pedigree and the right performance. The right pedigree and the right performance. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what you got against my parents? Like, what are you saying about my mom? Why are you saying, what, what's wrong with my lineage? What's wrong with my heritage? Do you know who, the, Jesus I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Jewish leader. Like, when I speak, people listen. And Jesus says, you've got to experience a new birth. I think what Jesus is trying to say is that your pedigree and your performance are not enough to make your life new. It's not enough to make your life new. You can't say, well, did, did you know, you know, my, my grandparents have been on the roster of First United whatever, and I've been, we've, for generations now, we've contributed. You see, we've got plaques over here. All of that's wonderful, and thank God for a godly heritage. But Jesus is saying, this new creation work that I'm doing requires that you yourself become new. You need a new birth. All previous lineage, all previous heritage, all previous pedigree and performance are now irrelevant. Water baptism today was a picture of that. It's a way of saying it doesn't matter what your family of origin was. It doesn't matter what your dad was like, what your grandpa was like. It doesn't matter what happened on your mother's side. It doesn't matter about that one. All of those things, they, they, they will impact you in different ways in your emotional journey, in your healing journey. All of that stuff is true. But something radical is happening. God is giving you a new birth. A new birth. He is taking you back to Genesis and giving you a new birth. A new beginning means a new birth. And then in verse 8, Jesus said, God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. And it's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now Jesus says it's not just being born anew. It's being born of the spirit. He's now beginning to describe a new nature. See, a new beginning doesn't just mean a new birth. A new beginning means a new nature. See, this is where we often stop short when we talk about the gospel and we sometimes say, oh, you know, the gospel is about a second chance. God is the God of second chances. How many of you know it's not good news to get a second chance to fail again? If the gospel were only a second chance or a third chance or a thousand chances, it still wouldn't be good news. Do any of you remember being called up to the front of the class in math? I know they probably teachers don't do that anymore, but I remember like algebra, there's like the equation on the board and the teacher says, come on, you know, little Johnny, or whatever, probably algebra, you're not little anymore. Solve this equation in front of the class. And he's like, you know, you're sweating bullets and it feels like five hours have gone by, but it's really like five minutes and you're like, no clue how to solve X, you know? <laughs> and the teacher says, oh, it's okay. I've got good news. She wipes the board. I've got good news. You get to try again. And you're like, oh no, can I please go sit down? This is not good news. <laughs> I still, I didn't know how to do it five minutes ago. I still don't know how to do it, right? You can erase the board multiple times. Still no clue what X is, right? 
Listen, if the gospel is only a second chance, it is not yet good news. It's not yet good news to, to say to someone, oh, God has forgiven you. Why? So that I can try and fall short again? What Jesus is saying is this is not just being born anew. This is being born of the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit. A new nature is now taking over. Now, Paul will work through some of this theologically in his letters, and he'll say things like, you've got this old self in you, and you could give power to it. You could let sin reign in your body, or or the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is working resurrection life in you, and you can walk in the spirit. And if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Paul's saying before, you had no choice. You only had one law at work in you. You only had one bent. You only had one default mode. You had muscle memory for an old way. But now, thanks be to God who has delivered us, he's given us his Holy Spirit. See, maybe the greatest chapter in the New Testament, Romans 8, where Paul opens by saying there's no condemnation, he goes on to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit because the gospel is not good news just because it's a new start. It's good news because it means there's a new nature now that you've received, a new nature. And I'm telling you, this gets worked out. I know there's, I know there's counseling and I know there's, there's time and I know there's learning of new practices and all this stuff, but don't you for a minute forget The power of the Holy Spirit lives in you and he will not quit until he's made you in the image of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen, come on. It's the Holy Spirit who will not stop working in us. The power and presence of God in us. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. Now, he's using man and sons because he's trying to draw the parallel here with Jesus, but obviously the point in the New Testament is men and women. We all become children of God because of what Jesus has done. And that means there's a new nature that we can now grow up into. John would go on and write one of his letters to a group of churches, and in 1 John he would say, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he spends much of his letters saying, so little children, love one another, because that's what God is like. If you want to grow up to be like your father, good news, you've got his nature in you, so keep on growing up. Keep on becoming this. Change in this way. A new beginning means a new nature. And then, as Jesus goes on in his conversation, verse 13, he says, No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then the verse that so many Christians all around the world have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. What you see is contrasting two futures. On the one hand, there's the future that is the, 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 the one where we perish, where we are given over to the full effects of our rebellion and our sin. And there's another that says, no, there's eternal life. Or Maybe a better way to translate this phrase, the life of the age to come. 
the life of new creation, the life of this wonderful thing that God is doing. And so Jesus doesn't come now to judge, but to save, to get you in on the future, even now. So a new beginning doesn't just mean a new birth and a new nature. A new beginning means a new future. It means a new future. Sometimes the only way to alter the ending of a story is to go back and change the beginning. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. If you will let me give you a new genesis, I will give you a new ending. If you let me give you a new beginning, I will give you a glorious ending. This is how it's meant to be. You get to have the life of the age to come. Now, sometimes we've heard it so many times, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, and you can't help it, but you say the word eternal life and you picture like heaven and harps and angels' wings and baby cherubs. But a Jewish person in the first century would have heard the life of the age to come and would have heard new creation That thing, God, when you make everything right again, you're saying, I can have that life even now? Yes. You get the foretaste of that now. In other words, one day, God will make it all new. But today, you get to be made new. Now, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul paints this glorious picture of resurrection and the return of Christ. And he says, one day when Jesus returns, he will reign until all the enemies have been put under his feet. And, it's, and he says there, and in that day, death will be swallowed up by victory. There's coming a day when death will no longer have its sting. He talks about the glory of resurrection and new creation that we're all going to experience. And then in his, one of his follow-up letters to that church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians, he says, look, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. You're like, wait, 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 I thought new creation was in the future. I thought new creation was that thing we're all sort of hanging on and waiting for and saying, God, do it. And Paul says, yeah, 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 but guess what? If you're in Christ, you get the life of the future pulled into the present. You get to taste it now. You get to experience it now. I remember as a kid, I would come home from school, and and my mom is a fabulous cook. If she's never cooked for you, you need to make sure that that changes today. But I remember uh, helping, and I would get roped into helping her in the kitchen, cutting up the spices and grounding the garlic and all the stuff, and the aromas are just so beautiful. And then she would say, would you like a taste of it before dinner? And one of the great benefits of being in the kitchen is I got to taste dinner before the family did. And one of the great benefits of being a child of God is you get to taste new creation before the rest of the world does. You get to enjoy it now. Paul says you're part of the new creation. The whole things have gone, the old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. How are we confident that in the end, the verdict will be a good word over us? Is it because of our own pedigree or our own performance? No, it's because Jesus became sin so that we can now become the righteousness of God. That's a new beginning, a new birth. That's a new nature and that's a new future. And that's the power of the gospel. And when I think about this today, I think about how beautiful and glorious the future is and how powerful 
our present can be, how we can begin to taste it now, that actually even now you can experience this new future. My dad was given the name of a Hindu god when he was born. He was named Indra, and his second name was Pakiam, and the way that Indian culture works is similar to old kind of Hebrew culture, where you're not given a last name, but you take on your dad's first name. So he was Indra Pakiam, son of, and then his dad's first name. And my mom was raised in an Anglican family, I think second or third generation Anglican, and they met at the University of Singapore, and, and my mom said, well, I'm not going to marry a Hindu. And he said, okay, well, I'll convert, which was relatively easy as far as Hindus go. That doesn't really happen. Uh, so it must have been quite a first date. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then eventually into their marriage, something began to happen. And they began to realize this isn't just about what you say you are or what church you attend or who your friends are or what parties you go to or all the trimmings and trappings of that. Something personal and transformational has to take place in you. And they began to realize, no, no, we have to be born again. Like something new has to be happened. So both of them experienced this. My mom from a Christian background, my dad from a Hindu background, doesn't matter. Everybody has to be born again. And both of them became born again. And for my dad, he wanted to mark it by changing his name. And so he dropped this Indra business named after a Hindu god and took on the name David. And at the same time decided that Pakium would now be our family name and be the name for my sister and I. What that means is if you're looking for the first Pakium, he's right there. <laughs> and I'm the second generation. Our kids are the third generation. And every generation has to have its own moment with Jesus. But a new future can begin when someone says yes. A new future can begin. And some of you are here and you're like, well, I, I, my family's terrible. I don't even want to talk about my family. I don't know. Listen, what if you'll be the first? What if you'll be that first generation? What if the future that is different is not just the glorious new creation, but actually the future of future generations, the future of your kids and those around them? A new beginning means a new future. When Nicodemus Hears Jesus say this, he wrestles, he says, how is this possible? How, what, what do you mean? How, how could this be? And Jesus says, are you a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? Like, like oh, wow. Gentle Jesus. <laughs> Confronting Nicodemus. How do you not know? John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Commentaries, you know, split on this. Is it just like a detail? Like it was, it was night. It was a lovely moon that evening, you know. Or is there something more going on? John is such a poetic storyteller. In, in chapter one of his gospel, John already begins to contrast darkness and light. He's talking about Jesus as the word. And he says, the word was life. And the life was light for all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot extinguish the lights. And so he's already setting things up. 
In these polarities, there's darkness and there's light. And Jesus is the light that cannot be overcome by darkness. Jesus is the light that brings a new beginning. See, John's gospel begins the same way that Genesis began, where Genesis says, in the beginning, John's gospel says, in the beginning. And John knows that the very first words out of God's mouth in Genesis were, let there be lights. And the, the word who became flesh is himself lights. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus full of his pedigree and proud of his performance. And Jesus says, I don't know if you realize it, but you're in the dark. And I wonder if that's true for some of us today. Like, wow, I'm glad. I mean, I've, I've, I've been, I've, I think I've called myself a Christian. I've, I've done, I've, I know all the right things I do. But are you still in the dark? Or has the light of Jesus actually given you a new Genesis? Has the light of who Jesus is brought you to a new beginning? Today is that day. Today can be the first day of new creation. Today can be the first day of new creation. Today can be the day that you begin to taste now in advance what the whole world will know one day. <laughs> you get to welcome the lights in. New creation can begin today. And maybe you're here saying, well, I, 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 actually, I'm not very proud of my performance, and, I, and I'm not very proud of my pedigree. And if you knew my family history, you, you wouldn't even say that. The great thing about baptism is we get formed in one family together. And it's like Jesus says, Jew, Gentile, sinner, saint, Pharisee, Samaritan, doesn't matter. Child of God. Child of God. And, and then you look at one another and you say, brother, sister, we belong. And so this day, the church is the only place in the world where this is true. People try to form identity amidst diversity in all kinds of other ways. The only thing that has done it throughout history is the church of Jesus Christ. It's the only place. Someone said the other day, what difference did it make that Jesus came and died and rose? If Jesus hadn't come or died or risen, they wouldn't have been the church. And the world has never known a community made up of people of all kinds of different pedigree and performance and backgrounds and heritages. The, the world has never known a family like this before. A new beginning means a new birth, a new nature, a new future. And we get to mark that today as a family. Would you bow your heads this morning?